morning, as we um last uh, last couple of weeks we spent with um, Abraham and, and looking at some of his lost some of his highs, some of his lows. Um, we looked at his trusting God. We looked at his failures at times. Um, we, I pray that we've learned a lot from him. But over the next couple of weeks, I want us to to look at Acts with the conversations with the Lord and and just with the, with God revealing certain things to us in our, in our society today, our culture today, in the world, in the church world today. Um, the, the the story of Acts, the new church, the early church, the foundations that were being to be built and to laid by some of the forefathers of the faith. I want us to take a few weeks to really look at this and, and understand how that we should actively be participating in our faith, in our walk with Christ, in our church and our community over the next few weeks right we may think well that was thousands of years ago the church world is very different than it today than it is now there are differences right but there's a lot of key parallels that are that are still the same the Charlie church came up in a world where there was a lot of anger and a lot of pain a lot of people that didn't persecution against the church we see that in many places today in our world right, right. we go into a place where there was a lot of questions there's a lot of uncertainty there was a lot of sin rampant in the world at that time what do we see today we see a lot of questions we see a lot of uncertainty we see sin on every corner. So the world has might have changed and molded and, and evolved in some ways, but a lot of the key things that the church looked at and the church built off of are still the same, right? And that's things that we can learn from even still. So over the next few weeks, I encourage you to be reading through the book of Acts. We're not going to hit every verse, so be reading a couple chapters every week, and, and that way we can get to the end together. Um, but there's wonderful truth in the book of Acts, and that's what we're going to be as we study the, the early church, how God really um, he came and, and Christ came and gave his life and then he was you know resurrected and then he ascended into heaven and then that's where we get really with the book of acts is this story of what came after right yeah. um so today we're going to talk about what we are here for amen now we all probably have some idea or some thought or some you know conviction about what we're here for but i want us to look there's one verse in particular but we're going to read a few verses here in acts chapter one verses four through nine and it's going to give clarity into what we are here for Amen. So this is what it reads. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. goes like this. And it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. So this he is Christ, right? First few verses of Acts, we have Christ kind of talking to them, and then we see that he has ascended. Okay, we'll hit that at the end of the verses that we read. But it says, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, we, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So that's Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. So I want to start, we want to look at that verse 8 again here in just a moment. But I want us to understand that this is basically a job description, okay? What God has just laid out for His disciples and through His disciples, even us today, is this job description, right? So let's read that verse one more time. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of of the earth. If there was one verse that you could pick out of the whole books of Acts to really summarize and say this is what the book of Acts is about, it is this verse, right? We look at the book of Acts and we'll get through most, a lot of it here in the next couple of weeks, but what we see is the Holy Spirit working through God's people to be a witness of the gospel truth of who Christ is. Amen? That is the book of Acts. If you wanted a short little blurb, if you want a short little summary, that is what the book of Acts is about. The early church working with the Holy Spirit to be a witness to the world. All the 
world. Not just this place and a few other places, but you look through the book of Acts and they spread as far as the known world was at that time, spreading the gospel message. And that is what the book of Acts really com- com- is composed of, is this message of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You should be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Within this text, we, we clearly see how, how God points His disciples to the purpose and the reason that He is leaving them here, right? Jesus Christ could have very well taken His disciples with Him. There's nothing in Scripture, nothing within the because of God's power that He could not have done that, right? But He made a choice. He made a decision. And He elaborated this to His disciples here in this moment. I'm leaving you here for this reason. He says, in a few days hence, there's going to be a great gift given to you. And then after that, you're going to be witnesses of me in all these areas that you know and all these areas that you don't know. And you're going to spread the gospel. Amen. Have you ever looked at a, at a job description? Now, some of you probably are pretty far off from having to do that, right? It's probably been a long time since you ever had to look at a job description, right? But most of us probably looked at one or two in our life to, to, when we were looking for a job or trying to find some kind of career or, or whatnot. And on a job description is, is it's going over the roles, the responsibilities, the expectations that are laid out, right? And there's this understanding that if you get the job and you do not fulfill these roles, responsibilities, and expectations, that you will not retain the job, right? You don't get hired and told that you're supposed to do this thing, and then if you don't do this thing, you end up keeping the job, right? I just don't have it works. And I want us to understand is that what we see here in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is, job, is God giving us the job description that we as Christians have to go and be witnesses to the world. To go and speak truth to the masses. To go and spread the gospel message to those that, that need to hear it. In one place, what I love what he said uh, when the Sadducees and Pharisees, they came and challenged him and they told his disciples, why is he eating with the tax collectors and this one that one? And Jesus told him, he said, well, you know, I came because, you know, we need to understand that this, the healthy don't need a doctor, but it's the ones that sick need a doctor. He says, I've come. For those that are sick, that are sick in sin, that are sick and lost in the world, that they need to be saved. They need to be revealed to them that they are lost in their sins. And that's what we are here to do, right? To go to those that are sick, that are in need, that are hurting, that are in pain, that are in grief, that are going through all kinds of hurt and torment, that are filled with sin, that are burdened down with sin, that are receiving the consequences and the punishment of sin with death and destruction day in and day out. We are to go and be witnesses of the love and the mercy and the good news of Jesus Christ on a daily basis, right? Not just every now and then, not just when we feel like it, not just when it works out, but on a daily basis, right? But sadly, the church in many ways, not just not just necessarily our church, but the church in, in a global sense, the church has forgotten or ignored the expectation that comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that we oftentimes, in our walk with in faith, or our walk of faith, in our walk with Christ, we come to the realization that we're lost, we receive Christ into our heart as our Savior, and then we find a seat, we pick a seat, and we stay in the seat. And that is not what God has told us. That is not the expectation He has established for us. That is not the responsibility that He has laid at our feet. He just as the disciples, He comes to and He says, Go and be a witness. Go and be a witness of me to them. We might not ever go to Judea or Samaria, but we can go to other parts of the world, right? If it's Appalachia, we understand. Appalachia has its own bunch of problems with addiction, with with you know all kinds of different family problems, with divorce and death and sickness and, and kids being raised in rough situations. We get that. We see the need. We are to be the witness in that. Maybe we get the ability, like Mark and some of these other ones, to go to Mexico or go to other parts of the globe and do certain things of ministry and things like that. We can help uh, people with 
with Miriam's family and stuff like that. We can be the witness that God desires for us to be, but we need to be that witness. That is the expectation that is set out for us, but sadly we in the church world have come to this point where we don't feel like we need to fulfill that expectation. That that's not necessary for us to do. That that's not required of us. But he lays it out very clearly to his disciples, the ones that were closest to him, the ones that were most faithful to him, the ones that knew more than any of us could. If you have all the degrees and all the wisdom and all the knowledge of all the books in the world, they firsthand experienced life and reality with Christ, God Almighty, and he still says, go and be a witness. He doesn't tell them, you can go sit down now, Peter. You've done your role. He doesn't say, Philip, it's good now. You can just go chalk it up and say you're done. He says, go be a witness. We must live out that expectation in our daily lives of going and being a witness. Now, here's the thing. With a job, if you don't fulfill your expectation, you're going to get fired, you're going to send away. That's not how it works with our relationship with Christ. God is loving. He is merciful. He is kind. Once we have received Him into our, into our heart, we are saved to the uttermost. We understand that. But what we need to understand is when we fail to meet the expectations of being a witness of God's love and mercy, that there are consequences of that. Hebrews tells us in one place, he says that if you are a child, if you are a son of God, that you will experience chastisement when, if you do not do what He has asked you to do. If you do, if you sin, right? Then we also see in James, he says, if you know to do good and you do it not, to Him it is a sin. And how many of us understand and in a cognizant of the fact that I should be telling people about Jesus? That I should be a witness of God's love, of His mercy, of His strength, of His grace, of His power, of all these things, yet we sit in our seats and we fail to do that. Amen. We know it's the right thing to do. We know it's the good thing to do. We know it's what's expected of us by God on high, yet we <coughs> fail to do it. That's something we have to come to terms and understanding with, is that that is the role that we have. Now I get it, man. We may look at this description in verse 8. Or basically it's paralleled very clearly in Matthew 28 when he gives them the Great Commission. Go out and make disciples, right? And we may look at that and we may begin to process that and think, man, that's, that's overwhelming what's being asked of us. That's a daunting thing. As being asked, us. that is something that is so out of, out there, that's out of the realm of possibilities. How am I supposed to? What does it mean to be a witness of Jesus Christ in today's culture and society? What does it mean to make disciples? What does that look like? How am I supposed to do those things? How am I supposed to physically be doing what you've asked me to do? And we just wrestle with that, man. And the enemy sometimes will convince us that it's impossible, right? We'll convince ourselves that it's impossible, that we can't do these things. But I want us to understand that it may feel daunting. And it may feel just crazy, but what we see is Scripture lays out our job description. It also clearly lays out that we are not alone in it. Verses 4 and 5 says this. It says, A man assembled together with them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from Now, I want us to understand that we are not alone in being a witness of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. We have the Holy Spirit. For a minute, real quick, let me clarify 
than speaking to the person of the Holy Spirit. Because we talk about a lot, right? We talk about God, we talk about Jesus, and we, talk, we, we bring up the word and the phrase and the name Holy Spirit quite a bit, right? We talk about feeling the Holy Spirit, we talk about experiencing the Holy Spirit, we, we pray for the Holy Spirit to come and move within our midst, all those things, right? But a lot of us, we use the term of the Holy Spirit, and we do not completely and fully understand who it is as the person that we need to understand and to know, right? So let's clarify a few things real quick. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity, okay? This is, easy, this is a simple thing for us to understand. It's the third person of the Holy Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, and you have God the Holy Spirit, amen? So what this is, what this is saying is that each one of these unique individuals is God. They are not one and the same, but they are God in the same, amen? So they are unique, they have different roles, they have different responsibilities, but they are fully and completely united in the divine nature of Godhood, amen? That is who the Holy Spirit is. We oftentimes, we get confused and we think the Holy Spirit as a tertiary aspect of a third person, of not as necessary, of not as important, but the Holy Spirit is just as important to our walk of faith as Jesus Christ is in giving us His life for our salvation, and God Almighty is for creating the heaven and the earth and sending His Son for us to be saved. Amen? The Holy Spirit must be, must be respected and honored and attributed with all the glory and honor and praise that any other aspect of the divine Holy Trinity is, yet we often view it as less than. And it often is not something that we view as important or necessary in our walk of faith. But it is. It is so important. For us to understand that we are not alone to recognize the power and the importance and the significance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit plays a very significant part in the lives of men and women. Amen? It's the Holy Spirit that reveals to us that while we are in our sins that we are lost in need of a Savior. Amen? To draw us towards God, to draw us to repentance, to draw us to turn from our wicked ways and accept God as our Savior. That's the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also is what convicts us of our sins, which we have a relationship with Christ. When I fail, when I come short, it's not mommy and daddy telling me that I messed up. It's that Holy Spirit working within me, telling me, child, that's not what you need to do. Child, that's not the way to go. Child, there's a better way. There's a better path. There's a better option. Follow me. It's the Holy Spirit. Amen. We also know that Christ Himself called the Holy Spirit our Comforter. Our comforter, right? That we, we oftentimes talk about how life and, and the things of this world are hard and it puts us in desperate places, puts us in dark places and bad places. We've talked about that multiple times in sermons over the past couple of months, how we can call out to God. The one and the role of God that comes and fulfills that and helps us when we're in need is the comforter, the Holy Spirit. We also understand through Scripture that it's the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand and interpret and just take in the Scriptures that God has given us. It's the Holy Spirit working within us. You ever read a scripture and you didn't understand it at one point and then you go back a couple of days and you read it again and you understand it? That's the Holy Spirit. Right. That's the Holy Spirit working within you to help you understand the knowledge that God has for you. He is great. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is necessary and worthy of praise, yet we fail to recognize the significance of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I say, well, how do I get the Holy Spirit? As Baptists, we understand that once we commit ourselves, commit our lives to Jesus Christ and are saved, we are at that moment imbued and filled with the Holy Spirit. That by accepting Christ into our lives, we are accepting the Holy Spirit into our lives. And from that moment on, we have access to the full power, the full extent of the Holy Spirit working within us. Does He work stronger sometimes? Yeah. Does sometimes it feels like He's not there? Yeah, because sometimes we sin and we get far away from Him, right? But it feels different times, but the Holy Spirit is there working within us, ever-present, ever trying to lead us and guide us and comfort us and be what we need 
and be the divine presence of the Godhead within us actively working. Amen. We are not alone. Amen. Lord. Here we see Christ is directly tying the working of the Holy Spirit in us to our jobs of being a witness to the world. He directly ties that to it. See, he says, he tells them to wait, you know, wait here, whatnot. You know, I'm going to send you a gift. You know, John baptized with water, but I've told you before, and he said this multiple times. It's not the first time he says this to the disciples, but he tells them I, that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from hence. You go back to verse 8, and what does it say? It says that the Holy Spirit will give you power, and you will be witnesses into Judea and Samaria and unto the ends of the world. Christ is directly tying the working of the Holy Spirit within us to us being effectively able to witness and to minister the truth of the gospel. Amen. They are tied together. Understand this. Understand this. That we may look at things and be like, well, God's not, or the Holy Spirit's not that important. I'm saved. Whatever. And we oftentimes, we look at our ministry. We look at the way that we live our lives out, our faith walks and witnessing and, and trying to be obedient to God as a solo project. We really do. I know in college one time, um, I was assigned a group project in argumentation and debate class. Loved the class. I can't remember the topic we were supposed to argue about. Um, but it was two, me and another guy and two other people. And got time to work on the project. And the other guy never showed up. I mean, never showed up the whole time. Worked the whole time. He shows up the day of, and I have to coach him through how, how to do what I need to say and how I need to present things, yada, 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 for the class. And, and the teacher came, very, was very aware to the teacher that, you know, he hadn't participated. And sometimes we like, to, we, we view ministry through that lens, that a bunch of people signed up for it, but only we showed up, right? And we think that we're having to do it alone. We're having to do it by ourselves. We're having to figure it out by, by our own wisdom, by our own understanding. But that is not the reality. Though we may view it in that way, we, we need to understand that that is not how Christ established things to be. He sent the Holy Spirit to equip us and to assist us with the work and the calling that He has established for us. That's what the Holy Spirit does with us. We just don't automatically are saved and understand how to present the gospel. We just don't understand automatically are saved and, and have gumption, have un- understanding and wisdom and, and understand all the scriptures and know and quote verses and yada, yada, yada. Nothing like that happens. It is through the working of the Holy Spirit within us that we come to the place where we are able to faithfully fulfill the calling of God in our lives. Right? I don't preach just because I think I'm good at public speaking. It just don't work that way. I have never been great at public speaking. I want to let you in on something. I lost my 4-H public speaking contest. I did. I failed it. Awful. Was not my strength. Was not something I excelled at. But however, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in me and through me helped me get to the place where I could faithfully fulfill what God had called me to do. Understand this. To try and live a life in obedience to God without depending upon the Holy Spirit working in our lives is like trying to fly an airplane without an airplane. It's impossible. How are we able to be obedient to God by ignoring the third aspect of God? If I go and I say I want to fly an airplane and I go out and I sit like this and I put my wings out, am I going anywhere? No. I can fly. 
But I ain't no bumblebee, right? This ain't going to get me nowhere. And you, we act like we can fi- we've figured out how to be obedient to God just by reading enough stuff and listening to enough stuff and, and doing enough stuff. That's not how it works. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit working within us to accomplish anything in the name of Christ. Anything in the name of Christ. We may look at what we are called to do. We may look and, and the idea of being a witness for God, of being, being going out and telling people about it, might just seem so absurd to us. You may think, I can't do that by myself, God. And He says, don't worry, you don't have to. I've already provided somebody to be there with you. I've already given you everything that you need and access to, the, to me through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Through the Holy Spirit, we are not alone. We need to seek to be more in tune and more and acknowledge what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our lives. Not to ignore it. Not to overlook it. Not to say, well, it's not as important as what God... If the Holy Spirit says it, it's God saying it. If the Holy Spirit's leading you that way, it's God leading you that way. We need to understand that with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit, we are not alone. Amen. And also understand this. We're not done yet. I want to address here, as we begin to close... A idea, mentality that sometimes infiltrates the church that is dangerous and that is harmful, but that I have fallen prey to, that we all have fallen prey to. I mean, we at times can be of the mindset that, that God's just done working in our world. We can get to the mindset that nobody's ever going to repent, and nobody's ever going to change, and nothing's ever going to be different that things will never get better, and that we just get to the place where we're just like, I just want to get through this and get to the end. And that's an easy mentality. And I get that, man. I, I, I get that so much because I, I get so tired sometimes, right, of the rejection of trying to present the gospel and present the message to the to to whoever it is that God puts in front of me and the rejection of it, right? I know we get tired of going and talking to people and them saying, I want to come and I want to be in church and I want to be in church, I need to be in church, and yet they, they never show up. It gets tiresome, right? It gets tiresome to pour your heart and your effort and your time and everything into showing the love of God to those around you just to be persecuted and to be laughed at and to be scorned and to be mocked and to be said, nobody, Jesus isn't real and there's no need for Him in this world anymore and we just don't need Him. It gets tiresome. Yeah. I get that. I get that. There's days where I preach sermons and sermons and then I see the world around me and I see what's going on and people mock and people make fun of Christianity and I'm like, I just don't want to show up Sunday. Let the world take care of themselves. I'm just going to make sure I get to heaven and live faithfully to God. But that is not where we can be. We cannot end up in that mindset. We might get that place at certain times, but we can't stay there. That is not what God has laid out for us to do. But that mentality had even gotten to the disciples at this point. This is verse 6 and 7. They they say, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? What are they referring to? Is it time for the end yet? That's what they're referring to. 
They're referring to the prophecies that the Messiah will come and that will set everything right and that he will put Israel back and all these different things like that. That's what he, they're referring to. They're saying, Lord, is it the end yet? Are we done yet? Are we finished with this yet? Can, can we stop wrestling and fighting and going through all this stuff that we went through for the past three and a half years? Are we done with all the battles that we've had to face? Are we done facing the persecution and all the things that the world has to... Are you ready for this to end yet? Are you ready to come back and set up this kingdom yet? Are you ready to take us home? Are you... Is it time to restore the kingdom of Israel? Their concern wasn't in being witnesses or making disciples. They were solely focused on the end. The reality is that we can become we can become so focused on the end that we are lose our usefulness in the now. That we become so lackadaisical in the present because we are our mentality is well, we're just gonna gonna wait it out. We'll just wait it out, right? There's people all over the world. Maybe some of you are. So this is not a knock on that. People all over the world that have bunkers, right? Built. They had them so much. Early 19th centuries, right? I love the Chronicles of Narnia and the movie starts out. Why does it start out? They go into a bunker, right? Because of the World War that was going on at that time and London being bombed, the raids of London, things like that. And they would go and they would just wait it out. And for many Christians, we have to develop the mentality. Just get in your bunker, your little family, your little church, and just wait it out. God will come back. He's promised us that. I'm saved. Heaven's my home. All I need to do is wait it out. But God has not called us and saved us and redeemed us for us just to wait it out. That is not what we are called or asked or commanded to do. If your mentality is, well, I'm just waiting for the Lord to come. Guess what? He'll come when He comes. That's what this verse finishes. He he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. He said, what He's saying, when that time comes, that time comes. But let me give you instruction. Be a witness. Be a witness to who I am. He says, you're focused on the end, but you don't have no understanding of the timeline that God has. But what you need to recognize and need to understand is the Holy Spirit is going to come and you'll be imbued with power and you will be be expected of me to go and be a witness to all the world of who I am. Don't just wait it out. Don't just wait it out. But sadly, that is... The reality that we've come to in many times in our churches. But I love this story. Maybe you've seen the movie. I think they made a movie of it. Um, there was a man in World War II, a combat, med- a combat medic that was named Desmond Doss. Um, and uh, he, he, he didn't want to um, carry a weapon or, or kill anybody, so he was a combat medic. Um, and they were on the island of, I think it was Okinawa. And uh, Hacksaw Ridge is the name of the battle, is what they call it. And um, it was between the Japanese and, and the, you know, the American powers and stuff like that going at it. And it was just an awful place. They, the, the Japanese referred to it as the rain, of, the rain of Iron because it was just bombs and, 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 and artillery just everywhere, right? Thousands of people died in that combat. But this man, Desmond Doss, um, he would... 
he wanted to save as many lives as he could, he said. And he would go, and he didn't care if it was a, a Japanese soldier or an American soldier, whoever it was. He would go out onto the battlefield while, the, while it was raining down all kinds of destruction and pain and suffering. He'd go out on the battlefield, and, and he, would, he would find whoever it was that was closest to him that was still alive. And he would carry him over to the edge of the sheer cliff, and he would take them down with a rope of some kind. Once they got down, he would turn around, and he'd go get another, right? This man was able to save 75 people. 75 people, because of his efforts to continue to do that. At any time after he let one of those down, he could have been the one that went down afterwards. At any time. And once you're down to the bottom of the cliff, you're safe. You're fine. Your artillery wasn't really hitting in that area. You you had protection with the wall. You had, you had other people around you. You had safety. You had all the things that you would need to stay alive and everything. Up here was dangerous. Up here was bad. But up here was where the people that needed him were at. And every time he was faced with the decision, okay, I can go down now, or I can keep going back. I can go and wait it out, and then help whoever's left there, or I can go to those that are in danger in this moment and help deliver them from what they are facing, the death that they are facing and that awaits them if they stay here. We as Christians need to understand. You have the right we're celebrating July 4th in a couple of days. You have the right and the freedom and the ability to wait it out. That's your choice. I can preach you a hundred sermons, and it's still your choice. I can call you every day and, and tell you, hey, the Lord wants to use you. The Lord wants to, to use you to see people saved and help people's eyes. But it's still, ultimately, your choice. Your freedom to make that choice. And you can choose to wait it out. There's plenty of people that have done that, went on to glory when they died and went to heaven. They're celebrating, right? They get to rest with Jesus and they have paradise awaiting for them when He comes back to take us home. Or you can choose to keep going back, keep witnessing the love of Jesus, keep telling people about who he was, keep spreading the good news of the gospel message, keep reaching out to those that are in need, keep going back into the dangers and the turmoil of the world and the things that we face and the persecution and the being rejected and the being laughed and scorned at and made fun of, and it might get worse one day. We don't know. Or you can make that choice to be a witness of who God is. But we each have to make that choice. We each have to make that decision to go and be a witness or just to hunker down and wait it out. But God didn't call us just to wait it out. God didn't save us just to wait it out. As a, as a youth, I wrestled with this understanding of, man, why can't God just save us and then just take us home right there on the altar? Why can't he just do that? It'd be so much easier. It'd be so much cleaner. It would just be less, less pain, less suffering, less persecution, all this stuff. It's because we have a role and a responsibility and a purpose to be here, to be a witness of God. Maybe not Judea. Maybe not Samaria. Maybe not Jerusalem. But somewhere we are called to be a witness of the love of God. What we are here for. Amen what we are here for.